Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by United Poultry Concerns. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our past shows by going to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org. And I would love to hear from you. My email is hope at upc-online.org. On the podcast today, we have an interview with Judy Carmen. Judy's going to talk about her work connecting veganism and spirituality and the inspiring books that she's written. And we're now nearing the end of the year, and this time always brings reflections on the past and hopes for the new year. And we're ending this just crazy, unprecedented, challenging, life-changing year. I mean, 2020 has just been crazy. It's, it's really crazy to think that we have just lived through this historic moment of a global pandemic. I mean, our lives are forever changed. And there will always be now before and after the pandemic. I created this podcast because of the pandemic, and we now have 25 episodes as of this recording with 16 full episodes and nine Reason for Vegan short segments. Big changes so often only happen when we're under pressure or when crisis strikes. I know that even just a year ago, at the end of 2019, had someone said to me, you're going to start a podcast next year. I would have said, no, I don't have the technical skills to figure that out. I mean, there's no way I could do that. But there I was in March, sitting at home, watching all of my outreach events, canceling one by one. And then by April, I was doing almost nothing for the animals with an empty calendar for the first time in 30 years. I was forced to adapt, to assess my skill set and push myself to be brave and face the technical challenges and move my activist world online. And honestly, after eight months now and being able to assess it, I feel that this podcast could be even better than the events that I did. I'm certainly reaching a lot of people with a well-thought-out hour of edited content in 17 different countries. So what was at first a crisis and a scramble turned out to be what what I believe and I, I hope to be even more effective outreach for the animals than I've ever done in my life. So I hope very much that this is happening on a larger scale with the world, that this year's worldwide COVID-19 crisis, the protests against racial injustice, the exposure of the racial and economic inequalities from the pandemic, and then all the massive fires in the West and the hurricane after hurricane in the South, all the environmental disasters that have happened this year. I pray that all this turmoil will be the catalyst for change that we need. Humans can be really slow to change, very resistant to change. And sometimes it takes a tragedy or a crisis to wake us up and make different choices, ones that benefit the earth and the animals and everyone. 
it's often a health crisis that motivates someone to go vegan. I know a lot of vegans that say that it was some ailment or another that got them to try veganism, anything from digestive issues to cancer. But then as their health improved, they learned about the suffering of the animals and how beneficial it is for the planet. So they stayed vegan and they embraced veganism on a deeper level. I hope that this is what is happening, that this was the global health catastrophe that we needed to galvanize change, to wake us up to making better choices. So a great way to start is with New Year's resolutions. We're coming up on the new year. I love to make New Year's resolutions. I always make a few New Year's resolutions. And often there are big things that I kind of know I'm going to do, but it just helps me to hold to them. But I try to make at least one that's challenging, something that really challenges me. Things like my ongoing quest to have a zero-waste, plastics-free house, taking steps closer to that goal. I hope that if you're not vegan and you're listening to this podcast, that you'll consider going vegan for the new year. It's a great time to get a fresh start. It's a great time to make a commitment and to start evolving into the person that you want to be and in reflection to the compassionate society that we want to see. I also want to invite you to think about what a vegan world would look like. The new year is a great time to visualize what we want. And if we can't imagine what we want the world to be, how can we create it? So take a few minutes today or sometime soon and think about what we want to create, what we want to see. How about walking into the grocery store and there's no meat counter, no horrible glass counter with the carcasses of dead bodies that you have to avert your eyes from or try to avoid? How about no dairy or egg section with the bodily fluids of tortured cows and chickens? All the milks would be plant-based. All the abundant foods would be egg-free. You wouldn't have to read any ingredients labels because everything would always be vegan, always naturally healthy and cruelty-free. How about no plastics polluting our oceans, clean air for our children, Wildlife bridges and corridors that take animals safely over and under roads so no one even knows what the word roadkill means. What will it take to get there? What can you do? What can you commit to in the new year to bring us closer to this compassionate vegan world? It will take every one of us. So let's start in the new year. So I would like to bring in our speaker now. Today we have Judy Carmen, and Judy has her master's in clinical psychology. She's the author of a few books. Her popular book, Peace to All Beings, Veggie Soup for the Chicken Soul, I remember from a few years back, and I loved that book. And she's also the co-author of The Missing Peace, and that's P-E-A-C-E, The Hidden Power of Our Kinship with animals. 
She has written another book, her latest book that we're going to talk about called Homo Ahimsa, Who We Really Are and How We're Going to Save the World. The title is a play on the name for the human species, of course, Homo sapien. Judy is the recipient of the Henry Spira Grassroots Animal Activist Award and is the founder of the Animal Peace Prayer Flag Project. She's the co-founder of Animal Outreach of Kansas, the Worldwide Prayer Circle for Animals, Interfaith Vegan Coalition, and she assists with vegan spirituality events. So she is very busy and doing a ton, and we're so happy to have her here. Hi, Judy. Thanks for being here. Hi, Hope. It's wonderful to be here. I so appreciate you inviting me on your wonderful show. I just love this show. Oh, thank so you. So thank you. Yay. Nice to be here. Wonderful. Uh, we were just talking a little bit off the air about your first book, Peace to All Beings, or was it, maybe it wasn't your first book, Peace to All Beings. Was that your first book? No, uh, there was the other book. Oh, that other one. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I would say maybe your most popular book, Peace to All Beings, Veggie Soup for the Chicken Soul. And I remember how much I loved that title because I remember back when there were the books called Chicken Soup for the Soul, and there was a whole bunch of offshoot titles with the same chicken soup kind of thing and theme. And I would always think every time I saw that title or heard it, I would think, but what about the chickens? Who's going to bring peace to the chickens? You know? So right. I love I love that title. I think you did a wonderful job playing on that title. That's really oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it was every time they came out with another book, it was chicken soup for this, chicken soup for the pet lover soul even. Right. And oh. I just thought, no, somebody has to say something. This yeah. is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was a wonderful response title. I loved that. Thank you for that. Oh, thanks. And, yeah. And um, so before we get into your new book, though, I really want to hear more about your journey. You've been a vegan for a very long time. You have been in the activist community for a long time. So I want to hear about when you went vegan, why you went vegan, what got you into activism, and, and, and what's your vegan journey? I've been vegan about 25 years. Before that, I was vegetarian for about 25 years. When I went vegetarian, I was also an environmentalist and doing a lot of environmental and peace activism, which was kind everything was kind of combined back then in yeah. the 70s. Yeah. And uh, animal rights was just getting started. And so I was vegetarian because I loved animals. And I hadn't really learned that much about what was happening to them. I don't think a lot of people had because undercover videos were just starting to be revealed. We, we had a group in Kansas City at that time called uh, Animal Kind. And I remember one time our, we had our meeting and we, we wanted to eat vegetarian. And so we went to a restaurant. It was a steak restaurant, right? Because that's what there was back yeah. then. And they served us uh, these plates with like steamed broccoli and steamed cauliflower and <laughs> steamed peas. Yeah. And it was, it was just 
vegetables and they thought, well, they're vegetarian, so we'll just put a bunch of vegetables on the plate. Yeah, why plate don't you like vegetables? They'll be fine. <laughs> so, Boiled, no anyway, salt. <laughs> it was really funny, but uh, we've come a long, long way since then. Yes. Um, now, I went vegan uh, as I was, I was beginning, learning more and more, as we all were who, who were activists back then, as PETA was coming out and... Uh, all the different groups that were were forming in the 70s and 80s. And this is, of course, before uh, computers. If there's any young people listening, <laughs> if you can imagine, we called each other on the telephone. That's right. Uh, to, I remember that. To say, let's get together for a meeting or a protest or mm -hmm. something. So we we had to learn from books and magazines and letters and that sort of thing. Uh, but we were learning and we were having conferences. And at one of the conferences, uh, remember, I was still vegetarian. And so I was eating a lot of cheese. And uh, I went to a conference and I heard what was happening to the cows. And I was just completely beside myself. I was so upset. And I called the Horizon Dairy because they were selling organic milk and I thought maybe there's a way out of this for me <laughs> I'll see they'll tell me how wonderfully they treat the cows and everything so I got a hold of the man on the telephone and he said I said okay what happens to the babies when when the mothers have their baby baby cows and he said well we take them away from the mother right away and so then about how long can the mothers produce milk for people? And he said, about three years. And I said, so then what happens to them? And he said, one word, hamburger. Mm. And, and I just, my heart just broke. Yeah. And of course, then I started learning about eggs and chickens and, and all of, of that, including, you know, the misery behind the ducks and chickens that backyard people raise. Um, I found out about that, that those little babies never get to see their mothers and they're shipped in containers through the mail. And uh, most of them, a lot of them die. I don't know the exact statistic, how many of them die in transportation. And then once they're bought at a farm store, how many of those die? And if one of them turns out to be a rooster, then, you know, they have a, a sad future. And of course, all the baby boy chickens who are killed when they're born. Yeah. So uh, then, you know, that was it. And I went vegan from that point on. And what a joy it has been ever since. Not the knowing of what's happening part, which is very, very sad, but the part of knowing that you're not contributing to that suffering. It brings you so much joy. And there's even some research that indicates that you physiologically are changing in a way that your empathy increases, your compassion increases, mm. and just your joy of living from not uh, taking in any violence into your body. Uh, so that's... Um, why I went vegan and, and it was a long time ago and uh, boy, there's sure a lot more choices now. Yes. <laughs> to choose yes. from and 
It's vegan so restaurants. Yes, absolutely. Books. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a different world. It really is. And yeah, for, for us that have been in it a long time, I've been vegan 30 years. I, I will often say back then you had to really want it. You had to really want to be vegan. I mean, there was, it, it was much harder back then when people say, oh, it's so hard to be vegan. I just laugh inside because the yeah. choices now are just so abundant uh, compared you know, to 30 years ago. So, yes, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. We, yeah. Were, we would get um, milk powder and it yeah, was powdered soy yes that's right yeah. powdered soy milk i remember that and yeah you, just, you added water and it was all chalky and yeah you were, you were just right. so grateful to have something to put on your cereal but <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly. so we have come a long way which is which is such a great sign of how it is vegan is going mainstream mm -hmm. it yeah. definitely is yeah it just makes Makes your heart happy yes. to see all those choices out there. Yes. And it does make it so much easier for people to go vegan. Yeah, it's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, and saying, you know, it makes your heart happy. Something you were saying earlier about uh, being more joyful as a vegan, that it can make you happier. I agree in that a lot of people, happiness, is, it comes from having purpose in life, you know, having some kind of purpose. And that can bring uh, a sense of joy and happiness. And veganism, it, it gives you that sense of purpose that, that you're doing something good for the planet, for the animals, you know, all day long. Uh, your choices every meal. So, uh, so I agree. I think that it can, it can, maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of people can bring about a joy and a sense of purpose and happiness. Yeah, I totally agree, Hope. Yes. Because it is, it does give you a sense of purpose. You know that every, at every meal, you're doing something really good for the earth, for hungry people, for the animals, everything. Yeah, so, for so many things. It touches yeah. so many aspects of our life and, uh, and everyone's does. lives. Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm curious, since your work leans towards the spiritual and there is a spiritual element in all that you do and in your writing and your activism, I'm curious if you were raised in a religious household or what your experience was of religion or spirituality growing up. I was raised Episcopalian. And so I went through the, the various things and I was in the choir and all that stuff. I was pretty, pretty dedicated. And uh, to the point where I even drove myself to church once I could drive because my mother was so busy with all the kids and I was really, really interested in religion, but I just couldn't get any feeling of, I don't know, a relationship <clears throat> with the divine in that church. And part of it was that the Episcopalian churches, or at least the one I went to, is a more kind of country club type approach so that there was a lot of people there who were hunters getting ready to go hunting in the app in the afternoon women wearing fur coats lots of fur coats and uh, the minister not really ever referencing animals uh, as if 
there weren't any as if human beings were the only creatures <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. And uh, everything, it was just very anthropocentric as, you know, and that's what we're still dealing with now. But it, there was something so terribly missing in that church for me. So I kind of uh, ended up studying lots of different religions. And strangely, I, I ended up back in Christianity, but in, in a different kind of way. Um, I kind of say my, my religion is love. And so that could be any religion, really, because the, the core of just about every religion that there is, is love. But yes, it was, uh, it was a journey because I, I did decide that I was an atheist for about 15 years in that whole journey. And um, that, that wasn't working for me too well. And so uh, I found that I needed a, a, spiritual, a spiritual approach to life. And that's when I started studying all the different religions and, and finding out what they have in common, which can pretty well be summed up in the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there's a fellow who has put together a beautiful poster on the golden rule and the different ways it has spoken of in the different religions. It's just a, a beautiful poster. You can actually find it on legacycafe.org forward slash golden rule. I recommend uh, everybody to look at it if they're interested in spirituality because it uh, shows that the core value of nearly every religion is that golden rule. And all these religions are kind of misaligned at this point with the golden rule. One of the main things that we're doing with the Interfaith Vegan Coalition and some of the other things in, in my books is to try to help people understand that to be in perfect alignment with that love and that golden rule, that means going vegan. Veganism is the golden rule in action. So, yeah. so that's kind of my religious path in a nutshell there. Okay. And, and so you did a, eventually come to, I, think, I believe, co-founding, right, the Interfaith Vegan Coalition and working in the realm of vegan spirituality. So how did that come about? Uh, I met Lisa Levinson. She was having a vegan spirituality retreat. I went to one of them. Somebody told me about it. And I saw it and I went, oh my gosh, I have to be there because I had been an activist for so long and very few activists were interested or maybe that's not the word, um, just leaning in that direction of spirituality and how, the, uh, how veganism, to me, intertwined with spirituality in such a deep, deep way. Uh, when I uh, heard about her retreat, I said, I'm going. And I went and I met her and then from there, she and I started working together, and we came up with the idea of the Interfaith Vegan Coalition about, I think, three and a half or four years ago, and uh, with Thomas Jackson, who put together the film A Prayer for Compassion, which mm -hmm. if, you, yeah. if you're listening and you have not seen that film, you must see it. It's just amazing. It's uh, 
vegan religious leaders that Thomas has interviewed uh, from many different faiths. Anyway, the three of us decided to put this together and uh, try to reach basically all the religions, all the religious leaders and people of faith and say, hey, if you want to be completely aligned with your highest values, go vegan. And mm-hmm. so we have, we have all kinds of information on our Interfaith Vegan Coalition website about how people can do that in within their place of faith, their place of worship. So I would love to ask you about your new book, Homo Ahimsa, Who We Really Are and How We're Going to Save the World. And first, tell us a little about the book. What does Ahimsa mean for those that don't know? And also, what inspired you to write the book? Okay, yes, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this book. Uh, ahimsa is a Sanskrit word that means literally non-harm. And homo sapiens, of course, as we know, means the wise human. Sapiens means wise in Latin. And we have not been very wise over the last at least 10,000 years. We have done an awful lot of destruction to the earth and to to the animals, it's, it's through the roof. It's unbelievable what Homo sapiens has done to the animals. And this has been largely because of Homo sapiens' idea that we're here to dominate all other beings, uh, including nature. And that that's, that's our job. That's what we can do. And that, of course, includes many, many people as well. It's, it has made it possible for humans to think up the idea of enslaving other people and, um, and obviously enslaving animals in, on a massive, massive scale. So my thinking is that Homo sapiens cannot solve the problems that it created. But the beautiful truth I believe, is that we are all really homo ahimsa in our hearts and that we have just been programmed to believe that we're here to dominate and that we're the center of the universe and uh, not here to be kind and loving and caring for all of life. But I believe we are truly, in our true nature, homo ahimsa. And so it's not so much a transformation to become a new species as it is revealing ourselves as who we really are. And the the work involved in that is letting go of all the old programs, which which is is work. So what I, uh, I actually came up with this term when I wrote Peace to All Beings in uh, 2003 or thereabouts, and uh, I had proposed that that was who we really are, and let's start acting that way. Let's let go of all these old ideas of who we are that we somehow came here to dominate the earth, and women and children and uh, marginalized people and animals and nature. Yes, let's just 
trash the oceans and trash all the, the creeks and rivers and kill off all the fish and all of these ideas, they don't resonate with who we really are. They break our hearts all the time and we're not even aware of how devastated we are by the devastation we're producing. And now uh, here we are in, in a pandemic which has largely been caused as far as we can tell by our uh, mistreatment of the environment and animals. It's, it's like karma. It's like, it's all coming back on us, on our species, what we've done to other species. That's right. Is boomeranging back on us. It's time. We're actually pretty close to running out of time to make this change. And so I felt really compelled to write this book to take the idea that I came up with about Homo Ahimsa in Peace to All Beings book and really talk about it. What is it? And how are we going to get there? And how are we going to create the vegan world that Homo Ahimsa would naturally always create and protect? And interestingly, I started feeling this just real push to do this, but I really feel like the trees and the birds and the squirrels around here were saying, you know, somehow transmitting that idea. You have to get this book written. (laughs) um, But I started it a year before the COVID thing started and I finished it right when the whole COVID thing happened. Mm. The news came out. And I thought, oh, this somehow, this is related. Yeah. We've got to warn everyone. We've got to wake everyone up and make some serious, serious changes. Yeah. And getting a little deeper into the book, you say, and I'm going to read a quote now from the book, Vegan living is a spiritual calling and a spiritual path that you can count on to lead your heart home and empower you to keep the faith that humanity can transform. So what did you mean by this? Kind of elaborate on this, bringing the spiritual and the vegan together. Yes, thanks for asking that. I think that, uh, and I say this in my book because I there's so many vegans that whom I've met who really kind of shy away from the whole idea of spirituality and what I'm basically saying is I'm not talking when I say spiritual I don't mean I I think you should go to church or to some place of worship necessarily uh, or or have a belief in a higher power even what spiritual means to me is you would not be vegan if it weren't your spirit calling you to be vegan because it's your spirit that isn't necessarily logical it is heart intelligence heart wisdom Mm. and it's telling you we cannot keep destroying life the way we are so you can hear all kinds of logical arguments against that statement that I just made that, you know, we have to to clean up our act uh, because there's just 
all kinds of science saying, well, if we just get more technological and, and get more and better cars out there and all of these things, you'd go, okay, fine, you know, I'll just wait until they fix all these things. But no, vegans aren't doing that. They are saying, no, we do not have the right to cause this kind of misery and destruction. That's coming from your spirit. That's what I'm saying. It's coming from your spirit. And so in that sense, I see you as a spiritual being and someone who is following their, their heart's wisdom and their heart's rhythm. And they want to live aligned with their belief that love is a good thing and that helping others is a good thing and, and the golden rule. If you are vegan, I, I like to say you're on a spiritual path, even if you don't like that word. You can call it something else, but it's, you could call it a heart path. Yeah. So this actually gets into my next question. It's kind of uh, blending together here. So I want to I want to ask this other question because, and and this. So I really I loved reading your book. I just kind of felt like we're spirit sisters in so many ways because you <laughs> yes. touched on so many things. <laughs> you touched on so many things that that I think about and that I've thought, but I've never really talked about or written down. You know, but these same ideas around spirituality and veganism. And in chapter five, you say, and I'm going to quote you again here. Uh, you say. In many ways, activists and changemakers who resist the term spiritual are spiritual, even though they don't like the term. They're spiritual because they are compelled to do selfless work. If you care deeply about the suffering of others in spite of society's pressure to ignore it, you are a person who is in touch with your true heart and your true spirit. And, and I really love this because I've often thought that I've often thought something similar that vegans are just naturally spiritual, even if they, you know, many of them, of course, are staunchly secular and very atheistic. And, and I, and I, and I don't want to say that, you know, you have to be spiritual or you should be spiritual. That's certainly not what I'm saying. And I don't think it's what you're saying either. I think what we're saying right. is that it's, there's something deep going on here, something kind of soul, you know, soul and heart centered going on. And one thing that is always interesting to me is when there's issues like, okay, so there's many vegans who don't like their food cooked where meat was cooked. Like they don't want their vegan burger to be grilled on the same grill that meat was cooked on, right? Now, right. This, this scenario, it isn't, this isn't really about the boycott of the animal products or a strategy for reducing meat purchases or, or anything like this. This is something deeper. And, and sure, it can just be kind of an ick factor, like just kind of gross. And I think maybe that's all it is for some people. But I think for most of us, there's something deeper going on. It's like a, a purity of the soul and the spirit that we just don't want 
to taint our bodies or our spirit with, with anything that touches suffering or comes even close to suffering, if we can help it. You know, it's, it's, I think it's part of that transforming ourselves to more conscious beings, homo ahimsa, uh, where, where we really are sensitive and aware to being connected to anything that has anything to do with suffering, you know? Yeah, I, you said it so well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's definitely, uh, I totally agree. And I think, yes, that just that image of a veggie burger being grilled, you know, on the same grill as um, one that comes from an animal is, it is a very deep thing, I think, with most vegans. And that gets right to that spirit or heart because the, I think the more we learn, the more we see uh, in the videos and uh, in it with our own eyes, uh, tra- you know, transport trucks and all these things that we are learning about. We feel their pain when we're seeing these burgers that came from cows being grilled. We see their, just their agony. So I'm getting a little deeper into your book, I came across something else that I ag- agree with and have thought of before as well and wanted to talk to you about. And that is that, you know, there, there are some people that consider veganism a religion. And I don't agree with that. I don't really like that. And, and, and you seem to agree with me in the book because you say, and I'll do another quote from your book here, Veganism, rather than being a separate religion, is instead the foundational ideals of nearly all religions. And I fully agree. I like this because I think it is more of a universal, a universal concept that's connected to nonviolence and compassion and love, which is really at the heart of all religions. Yeah, I, uh, I've been thinking about that for a long time and how key that is to every religion as far as their highest values of the golden rule or uh, living in harmony or going back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. Or, uh, and there, of course, there's many other legends about uh, our earliest days when we were vegan and just eating plants and living in harmony with all the animals. And the animals were our friends and not running away from us in fear. So I think it's one of the keys to me to awaken this uh, sleeping giant, as some people have called it, of religion. And saying, hey, you know, you guys, this is what you're saying. Uh, All you have to do is just open up your heart's a little bit to see that that applies to all life um, and not just a few people. I think what's so exciting about this is that we're talking about billions of people here who are people of faith, who believe in, in God, believe in their religion, and want to be good people. Yeah. And so if we can get a lot of religious leaders and people of faith to understand this concept and, and feel it in their hearts, we could create a vegan world very quickly. So that's one of the, 
the goals of the Interfaith Vegan Coalition. And so we're really working hard on it because we feel like it has so much potential. We've got to reach these folks because they are so close to understanding that veganism is completely aligned with their highest value. Yeah, it's true. I believe that people of faith are really low-hanging fruit because they are already in the mindset of living ethically and having compassion and love at the heart of their religion. So yeah, yeah, it's right. very true. Right, yeah. So you also founded the Animal Peace Prayer Flag Project, the Animal Peace Prayer Flag Project. That's a little hard to say, actually. <laughs> um, so t tell us about that project. I want to know what that's about. Okay. Yeah, it is kind of a tongue twister. <laughs> um, you know, I, I saw these wonderful Tibetan peace flags, prayer flags that people fly. And for a long time, I thought, you know, animals need to have their own. And so I asked my sister who can draw and I cannot, uh, if she could help me. And she drew this beautiful, beautiful flag. And <clears throat> I found um, these flag makers in Kathmandu. They're like third or fourth generation flag makers. Huh. And so they make the flags. I have a wonderful video that uh, Daniel Redwood did a song, a beautiful, beautiful song for the animals. And it's in the background. He's singing that while I'm showing pictures of the flag hanging in different places where people have hung them up. And they're now in many countries around the world. Mm. And uh, of course, the concept of prayer flags is that as the flag deteriorates in the wind and the weather, those prayers just blow clear around the world. Mm. And so I just love that idea. And I felt like the animals needed their own flag. We wear them on our backpacks sometimes when we're hiking and kayaking and people just can, you know, put them anywhere, uh, wherever they are. Words are very powerful. Visions are very powerful. And so the main words on the flag are, may all beings live free. And those words go into the energy field of earth and so it's it just creates a tremendous uh power of moving us in that direction mm, i love that that's wonderful and i will put a link to where you can get those prayer flags in the show notes so judy what is your vision for a vegan world what what gives you hope what gives me hope? One of the things is you, Hope, <laughs> and your podcast, um, for Hope for the Animals. Um, it's, it's perfect. And I, I love the title of that. Um, also, just all the other podcasts that are coming out, so many videos, so many people out there uh, working on this, a constantly increasing number of vegans and animal sanctuaries and articles in regular magazines and newspapers about the rights of animals. Sometimes I'm not quite ready to go to bed. I think, you know, I just want to, to Google something that's going to really be cheery 
So last night I Googled animals uh, being rescued or something like that. And I saw this one about this armadillo that someone had found a baby armadillo and, mm. and they had the baby at the rehabilitation center. And he was so cute and they were just loving on him and they put him in the bathtub. He was just turning somersaults and having Aww. so much fun in the bathtub. <laughs> and I just thought, yes, we're going to make it. We're, we're going to be able to do this because there are so many wonderful, wonderful people out there who are taking care of these animals who need to be rescued. It just it's a really good way, I think, to lift your spirits, lift your heart, <laughs> and see, oh, there's so many wonderful people out there. And uh, go to animal sanctuaries if you can. If there's one near you, they will lift your heart. And you'll be able to spend time with animals and look into their eyes and see how much love they have to give us. And I do believe in holding visions of what we want to have happen. Mm. And I believe that it's very important for all of us to picture what this vegan world is going to look like with the zoos no longer being zoos where people can come and gawk at the animals, but rather they have turned into sanctuaries where the animals who couldn't survive in the wilderness are taken care of and loved. And the ones who could survive in the wilderness are let, are set free and um, wilderness areas coming back so that animals have room and they have the food they need and don't have to worry about people hunting them and fishing for them and bulldozing their forests down so we need to keep those visions alive in our hearts while at the same time we're seeing all of the bad things as homo ahimsa we can hold this vision of what it's going to be and already is in many places and so uh it's good to go to those places like a sanctuary and see it with your own eyes and it's also good to see it in your imagination and believe it and feel it and uh, smell and taste what that's going to be like and know we're going to get there. Well, Judy, we do need to wrap up. It's been a really wonderful conversation. I've, I've loved talking with you. Do you have any final thoughts, anything you wanted to say as we wrap up? I just want uh, to, to tell everyone who's listening don't lose hope. I'm so glad you're listening to this. I'm so glad that you care. Do not lose hope. Hang on. We are all in this together and we can create a vegan world together. There's a lot of us now and more and more joining us all the time. And Homo Ahimsa can do it. Yeah. So thank you so much, Hope, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on and for sharing all your wisdom and your beautiful vision for a vegan world. I, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Hope.
Thank you so much for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast. If you've enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends and on your social media pages. And please give us a positive rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. As Judy said, please have hope. We are going to get there. We are going to create a beautiful, compassionate vegan world with your help. So please live vegan.